everybody. Welcome back to the Insightful Thinkers Podcast. Never in my life have I watched a movie that has scenes that give me chills every time I watch the film. Those feelings of chills that I get are typically extinguished as soon as I witness a scene for the second time, but Little Women seems to impact me in a different way. One of these scenes is the scene that takes place in Amy's art studio, Paris 1869. Do I look all right, Amy says. Lori looks at her, really looks at her for the first time. You look beautiful. You are beautiful, says Lori. She suddenly blushes but smiles in thanks, and then runs off to greet Fred. From the top of the staircase, Lori looks at her and Fred embrace, not sure what he's feeling. Amy was, this is a scene that happens kind of at one of the... The movie's interesting because it bounces from in different time points. It's not in sequential order. So this is one of the scenes from later in Amy and Lori's lifetimes. Amy was once just a little kid in Lori's eyes. Now, years later, she's grown into a beautiful woman. And little does he know, Amy has loved him for all of her life. As strongly as Lori now may feel for Amy, even he doesn't truly understand how much telling her that she's beautiful after all these years really means to her. This is this is kind of the exact moment that I, I get shivers, but we're, we're not really going to talk about uh, these emotional moments because it's hard to um, really convey the beauty of scenes like this through a, a podcast. The movie really is amazing for more reasons than we're able to discuss in audio format. Um, so, so what we're going to do in this little women analysis, it's going to be a two parter because it's quite long and there are quite a few ideas that Greta Gerwig brings to the table here. Um, but, but, but this analysis will be more for analyzing the ideas and the themes of the movie. Um, I mean, I was hardly even able to convey the beauty of, uh, of even my favorite scene and, and, and my favorite moment in the entire movie. Um, so, so we're going to talk more about uh, the themes and the ideas. I trust that everyone listening uh, has seen the movie and has already experienced these emotions and they really are uh, feelings that cannot be uh, rehashed in, in a mere thematic analysis such as this. So we're breaking down what we can today, talking about the ideas and the themes in the movie. We'll be breaking down the ideas of, of that scene um, in, in part two next week because there are, prior to this kind of touching moment, there were a lot of really nice ideas there. So we'll, we're going to talk about that next week, actually. This week we're talking about what came across to me as the main theme of Little Women. Women as multifaceted rather than unidimensional, far from being only meant for marriage. This is kind of the main idea in the movie, at least to me. The brilliance of the movie really is its ability to deal with complex ideas so gracefully while at the same time eliciting such powerful emotions. Such seems to be the nature of any truly profound artistic endeavor. And uh, this movie deserves all of its critical acclaim. It, it, it received so much of it. Um, six Academy Award nominations, including Best Picture, Best Actress for Saoirse Ronan, Best Supporting Actress for Florence Pugh, and Best Adapted Screenplay. It did win for Best Costume Design. It also earned um, five British Academy Film Award nominations with a win for Best Costume Design and two Golden Globe Award nominations. 
It's based on the book, The Two-Volume Set by Louisa May Alcott, published in 1868 and 1869, so this mid to late 20, uh, excuse me, 19th century where it takes place. This is not the first time this book has been adapted into a movie. Greta Gerwig's 2019 version is actually the seventh film adaptation and um, really is the best, if, if you ask me. Women in 19th century America, what, where, what kind of context does this movie take place in? Well, women uh, at this time were meant to rule the domestic sphere, so home, the home and raising children, while men operated in the public sphere, so business, trade, and government. Um, women usually stayed at home. Uh, they cleaned the house and they cooked and sewed. Women's supposed God-given role was as wives and, and as a mother, keepers of the household. They often didn't go to school since they were to become homemakers and universities were for men only uh, until the later 1800s. They couldn't vote. They couldn't own land. Marriage and family were really their destinies at this point, or societally imposed destinies, I might add. Upon marriage, women became the property of their husband. And a remnant of this is still found today with women taking their husband's last name. So these are, this is what women were dealing with. And this is where Little Women takes place and where uh, the book discusses some of these themes. And Greta Gerwig does a really good job and she wrote it and directed it. So she wrote it for the screen and she discusses how it is difficult to be in this uh, scenario for, for women, but how they can still have self-determination and not feel like little women, um, even in a world that makes them feel little. The main idea is really the idea of uh, the woman as being uh, multifaceted with complex interests and desires, as opposed to being unidimensional and destined only for marriage and love. Like, uh, like they're supposed to be for uh, in the societal constraints of, of 19th century America. These complex desires and interests that women have manifest uniquely in every woman as well. So any effort to attribute stereotypical desires to a woman is a mistake. This is the main idea that women are not just meant for marriage. They, they, they can have all these interests, they can have ambition, and they can have all of these things. And we're going to talk uh, in this episode about how Gerwig conveys this idea using each of the little women. Let's start with Jo. It is an ensemble cast, but she's really, we really follow her throughout it. And she, she, she writes the story at the end of their, of their life anyway, um, or that's the way the movie tells it to be that Jo ends up being the author of this book called Little Women. So Joe is a writer, and that's really what defines her, not the desire to be loved or to become a wife like the stereotype of the time would suggest. So Joe, in an early scene in the movie, when she sees all of Laurie's books, she says, what richness, Theodore Lawrence, you ought to be the happiest boy in the world. Laurie says, a fellow can't live on books alone. Joe says, I could. So look here how it's not the man who is the book-loving intellectual who, who uh, necessarily loves reading and can live on these books, but rather it's the woman. Laurie says himself, there's no way he could live on just books, but Joe says, I could live on books just fine. So here we already have this uh, Gerwig kind of flipping things on its head. Where it's, it's not the man who's, who's, who has these intellectual interests, it's, it's actually the woman. Later, Joe says to Laurie, uh, when... Lori kind of asked Joe to marry her, or marry him, excuse me. Um, 
And Joe declines. She says, I don't see why I can't love you as you want me to. I can't change the feeling. And it would be a lie to say I do when I don't. Lori says, if you loved me, Joe, I would be a perfect saint. Say you will marry me and let's be happy. But Joe says, you'll find some lovely accomplished girl who will adore you and make a fine mistress for your fine house. I wouldn't. I'm homely and awkward and odd. I hate elegant society and you'd hate my scribbling and we would be unhappy and wish we hadn't done it and everything will be horrid. I don't believe I will ever marry. I'm happy as I am and love my liberty too well to be in any hurry to give it up. And Laurie says, shaking his head, you will care for somebody and you'll love him tremendously and live and die for him. I know you will. It's your way and your will and you will and I'll watch. So this last sentence, Lori is, is imposing his, his nature on Joe, actually. He's the one who has this loving nature, and he's the one, actually, as the man who wants to get married. And he's saying, oh, you'll fall in love with someone. It's in your nature, and, and all these things. And he's really carrying a faulty, stereotypical assumption of Joe that like other women she's supposed to be destined uh, for just love and marriage so Gerwig here shows this complexity of women's ambitions and desires and how it can't be assumed Joe is a woman yes but that doesn't mean she's just meant to marry she has ambitions to write and and she says no you'd hate my scribbling Lori I'd just be writing all day I'm, I'm not pent I'm not meant for this and this puts this stereotype flips it on its head that women if the stereotype were true, Joe would have just accepted Lori's proposal and said, okay, let's do it. This is my destiny as a woman. Let's, let's go get married. But no, it, it's totally different. She, the woman is the one with these ambitions to write. It's actually the man who, who seems to be destined for marriage. Um, the complexity of a woman's desires is, is also shown in a scene after uh, she turns Lori down when everyone is gone. Meg is left by marriage. Amy has left by a voyage to Europe. Lori left because, of course, she rejected him, and Beth was taken from, from her life when she died. So Joe says this to her mother. She says, perhaps I was too quick in turning Lori down. Her mom says, do you love him? Joe says, if he asked me again, I think I would say yes. Do you think he'll ask me again? And her mom says, but do you love him? And Joe, now tearing up, says, I know that I care more to be loved. I want to be loved. But her mom says, that's not the same thing as loving. And Joe now crying, trying to explain herself, she says, women have minds and souls as well as hearts, ambition and talent as well as beauty. And I'm sick of being told that love is all a woman is fit for. But I am so lonely. So this is, this is amazing writing from Greta Gerwig here, how it's like, Joe, she, she does, she, she is sick of everyone saying love is all a woman is fit for. And women have ambition and talent. It's not just beauty. Women have minds. They're not just all heart and they have these things. And, and, and we, as a society, we should probably understand that women have these things, but I am still so lonely. And this is that complexity. It, it's not like she's only on one side saying, oh, women have minds and ambition and they don't need love at all. She still has that feeling that she does want to be loved too. She's far from only wanting that, but this is just showing that complexity of a woman's desires and being multifaceted and not just meant for one thing or the other. And even Joe, who is the most ambitious writer out there, still can feel lonely. And it's painting women in such an amazing 
light is what this movie's doing. It's not just putting them as um, a placeholder in any way or, or as a, an observer. As a matter of fact, we're going to talk next episode how the man is actually the observer in a lot of the movie. And a woman is not just an ornament in this movie. These little women are actually in the forefront the entire movie. And the men are actually the observers to these women who are filled with self-determination. So it's so beautiful how it paints women in this movie. Um, let's talk about Meg. Meg's the complexity and Meg's desires and wishes and, and how Gerwig uses Meg to, to get this theme across. So Meg giving Amy a quarter after Amy says that all the other girls have more limes than her. Limes are like, you need limes to like be cool in the school or something. And uh, Meg says, I know what, what it is to want little things and feel less than other girls. Um, so she has these, Meg struggles with these, these uh, feelings of being poor. And she does have this desire to, to have some money. And she, she really, it hits home with her a lot, the feeling of, of not having as much as other girls. Her mom says, oh, Meg, you'll kill yourself for fashion one of these days because of these, these tastes that are kind of above what she can actually afford. And, and seven years later, she nearly does this when, um, against her best wishes, uh, buys a $50 uh, thing of silk for uh, silk fabric for her dress that that john and her can't afford because she has these tastes that she she her whole life she's kind of been wanting a little more and um this is this is part of her and what we'll talk though about how despite these ideas about wanting money and 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 wanting to be a little more comfortable, she still is able to fall in love with John, who is the penniless tutor, as Aunt March calls him. So John has absolutely no money. But even the girl who uh, has a desire to to have a little bit of money in her pocket, still, it does not relegate her from being able to fall in love with, with a poor man. Look at that complexity there. It does a great job, this movie, of never painting a woman as one-dimensional. Even their deepest desires, like in Meg's case, to have nice things are not the only things they pursue. Um, Joe's deepest ambitions are not the only things that drive her. She still wants to be loved too. Look at that complexity there. Later, Meg uh, says, when she's kind of, she just has a crush on John initially, her future husband, she says, Mr. Brooke has blue eyes and an old soul, which is much more important than money. So yeah, she... She does want uh, money, but hey, maybe maybe uh, an old soul is more important than money in some cases too. So she has these multifaceted desires. Meg talking to John later um, says, I know you are angry, John. I don't mean to waste your money, but I can't resist when I see Sally buying all she wants and pitying me because I don't. I try to be contented, but it is hard. So this is after John finds out she spent $50 on the silk fabric and here we, we have Meg, like she loves John so much. She can still love a poor man and still have these desires for these nice things. Meg, earlier on in the movie, when Beth falls ill, she says, I never wished for money more than now. Um, so now back more towards the side of, of wishing for money so she can have these, these conflicting things. Later, John says, I don't want you to be unhappy. And Meg says, I couldn't be. John Brooke is my husband and I am his wife. 
So she she can still fall in love with the poor man. Women are not unidimensional. Just because she has desires for money doesn't mean she has to fall in love with a rich man. Love doesn't really discriminate. And it certainly doesn't for, for these women. Later um, on, March says, you'll be sorry when you've tried love in a cottage and found it a failure. We're, we're going to talk more about on March in episode in part two where she has these archaic ideas, which were not so archaic for that time, that uh, a woman needs to get married to make a way in the world, because she really did at the time. So she says, you'll, you'll be sorry, Meg, when you've tried love in a cottage and found it a failure. But Meg says, it can't be worse than some people find in big houses. And Meg has a point. Happiness uh, and love don't really discriminate. I mean, you can... You can make love in the cabin just as well as you can make love in, in whatever big house Meg is kind of saying. So yes, Meg kind of has a slight desire for the big house in some ways, but, um, but, but that's not the only thing driving her. She's a complex woman. Um, and from the script to close out that scene, it says, Meg and John retreat and laugh and kiss. Nothing can pierce their happiness. So... Again, yes, just this idea of the, the multifaceted woman in Meg who from a very early age has struggled with being poor but can still fall in love with a poor man. Joe and Meg now kind of together, they have a nice conversation that shows their differing, uh, some of their differing desires and, and the complexities and uniqueness of different women too. So Joe says to Meg, you should be an actress and have a life on the stage. Let's run away together. Meg says, I want to get married. And Joe says, why? Meg says, because I love him. And then Joe says, but you'll be bored of him in two years and we'll, we will be interesting forever. <laughs> Meg says, just because my dreams are not the same as yours don't, doesn't mean they're not important. I want a family and a home and I'm not scared of working and struggling, but I want to do it with John. And Joe says, I'd rather be a free spinster and paddle my own canoe. So look at how different women's desires can be. They're not, they don't both want marriage, but they don't both just want to be a free spinster and paddle their own canoes either. So it's painting women in different colors for different women. And each woman is a tapestry of her own in a way. Um, Joe is kind of, kind of like Lori um, imposes his, his feelings of love and, and wanting marriage on Joe early, when he, uh, proposes to Joe, Joe kind of imposes her ideas on Meg because she she doesn't understand how Meg can just want to be getting married like this because she's totally different than her. And and the movie does a great job of not making these women alike in any way. And Amy is different in her own right. Let's talk about her now. She says to Lori um, when he shows up drunk to uh, to the to the ball, Amy says to Lori, I feel sorry for you. I really do. I wish you'd bear the pain of Joe breaking your heart better. And Lori says, you don't have to feel sorry for me, Amy. You'll feel the same way one day. And Amy says, no, I'd be respected if I couldn't be loved. So this is the idea of love not being the only thing a woman desires. What about the desire to feel respected as Amy does? Amy specifically, she has ambitions to be a great artist. So that's a unique thing about her, even though she is being pushed by all March and society as a whole to uh, pursue marriage over anything else. And also look at Laurie is again imposing his 
loving nature on Amy, just like he did with Joe. Amy replies uh, with the idea that she will take respect over love. It, it, what's happening here again is actually Gerwig is flipping it on its head again. It's actually the man who is the one falling for the girl and wanting marriage, not the other way around. Laurie thinks Amy will have her heart broken and will be crushed like he was when Joe left him. But that's only because he is passionate and he finds himself dwelling on Joe breaking his heart. Amy, on the other hand, um, she's mostly concerned, or at least she has a concern for being respected too. So she tells Lori that uh, I may never feel as brokenhearted as you, Lori. Uh, you may be, you may have your loving nature, but just because I'm a woman doesn't mean I necessarily need to feel only love. I can feel respect too, and that's okay with me. Um, this totally goes against this stereotypical idea of the woman being the one who will be overcome with emotions from the pursuit of love and with the man only being concerned with his ambitions, talents, and desire for respect. It totally reverses it and flips these stereotypes on their heads so beautifully while just playing out in such a beautiful way. Uh, movie it's really an unbelievable movie we do some movie analysis on here the movies that really have all of these ideas uh, moonlight i think was the last one we did and it's been a while but uh because these movies don't come around a lot and i had to i had to talk about it today I, I, i'm just my mind is blown by this movie this this even has another layer of complexity too that maybe we can talk about this um i I'd be respected if I couldn't be loved, what Amy says. Later in the film, Amy does say that she has spent her entire life loving Lori. So perhaps this respected if I couldn't be loved is a rebuttal to Lori who has never loved her. And it's Amy's way of saying that at least show me respect by showing up to the ball on time and sober. If you're not going to love me back for all these years, if my love is going to go unrequited, then at least show me some respect and, and show up here and, and be presentable when you come to the ball. Her saying, I've spent my entire life loving you, despite her ambitious nature, is another layer of complexity because it applies to this idea of the multidimensional, multifaceted woman who, yeah, she can be ambitious and, and, and yes, she can, her main desire can be to become a, a great painter, but she can still spend her entire life loving Lori as well. And no, she's not only worried about Lori. She has her own uh, interests as well. So she's complex. She's multifaceted. So many ideas, you guys, and how you make a creative work while dealing with so many of these ideas is, is just so incredible. And we'll kind of finish off with how Gerwig uh, again conveys this theme and a nice conversation between all of the sisters, all of the little women and the complexity of all of their desires and their wishes. So uh, bear with me this one. Oh no, uh, it's actually not too long. Um, this, this conversation, I kind of chopped it down a little bit. So Meg says, it's so dreadful to be poor. <laughs> the Meg that, that we know from the movie. And Amy says, I don't think it's fair for some girls to have lots of pretty things and other girls to have none at all. Beth says, at least we have a father and a mother in each other. Joe says, we haven't got a father, and we won't have him for as long as this war drags on. Meg says, I wish I had heaps of money and plenty of servants, so I'd never need to work again. Remember, 
later she she changes her idea of this she's she says she doesn't mind working so look at look at how uh the woman's mind can evolve as well growing is, is kind of saying there Amy says, I have lots of wishes, but my favorite one is to be an artist and to go to Paris and do fine pictures and to be the best painter in the world. Beth says, that's what you want too, isn't it, Joe, to be a famous writer? Joe says, yes, but it sounds so crass when she says it. Beth says, my wish is to have us all be together with father and mother in this house. That's all I want. This whole sequence is showing this multi, these multifaceted uh natures of the women, these wishes and the dreams, they don't all say they want to get married. As a matter of fact, none of them do, but that's what society has set out for them. Well, maybe they can have their own wishes and desires that have nothing to do with that though. Meg, she deals with issues of being poor um, and, and also look at the issues they all kind of struggle with too. Beth, she values family and she's grateful to have her mother and her father and her sisters Amy desires to be a painter, and Joe desires to be a writer. Far from wanting just money, just marriage, or just respect, these little women are, are not unidimensional. Even Joe, the brilliant writer who hardly pays attention to men, her dress catches on fire at one point in the movie. This, this attractive man, Friedrich, is, is saying, uh, you're on fire, and she's Oh, thank you. She keeps writing and keeps scribbling. And he says, you're on fire. And finally she realizes later in the movie, she, she comes downstairs. She doesn't even look at, at Friedrich who, who's come all this way to see her from New York. Um, and she grabs some food and eats it. And so, um, even to her, this person who pays no attention to men does sometimes yearn for love. Like we saw when she did feel lonely at that point. And Meg, who wishes for money her whole life, is still able to fall in love with, with, with the penniless John. So that's really the main idea. It's just about, and this is just the main idea in the movie, you guys. There's, we're going to have another episode on this next week. Uh same length as this with with all the other ideas in there uh, just as as uh, as interesting and, and perhaps as complex as these ones but just as beautifully done by Greta Gerwig so what we're really going to talk about next week is the idea of society how how society makes women feel like little women uh, because marriage is is more important than talent and interests um so it, it makes it it makes them kind of um, n not place as much value in their talents and their interests and, and feel like, oh, there, there's a quote where Joe says, oh, it's just a little story I'm writing. It's not that good. And they underestimate their talents because society kind of forces them to do that because the society says, no, oh, I don't really care what your talents are. You're not going to be led into the club of geniuses and your work, uh, it may never come to light either. And we're going to talk about all that next week and talk about how to counteract this, there's some value in a woman's self-determination and in not allowing societal expectations or stereotypes to limit their dreams. Thank you, everybody, for listening to this episode. Um, we've been having some two-part episodes recently. Uh, one of the reasons for this is because I think we are hitting a nice sweet spot at that around 30-minute mark per episode. I think it's a good amount to be able to digest in one 
thing. I, I understand this podcast isn't especially easy listening, so it's, it is difficult to just stick with it for an hour. So it, we're, we're splitting it up recently, partly due to that and partly just because to produce weekly content for me, it's not feasible to do extremely long episodes every week. I only do this on weekends, um, so um, it, it is partially a time factor too why we're splitting it up, but, but I think it works well, and I, I'm hoping uh, it works well for you guys. Uh, either way, just thank you for listening. If you just listened to part one, just listen to part two. Um, just know we're growing a community through word of mouth, so if you like this episode, let one or two people know about it, and that's all you have to do. You can also rate, review, uh, like, comment, subscribe, and follow, all of these digital things you guys know, but they do help with the discovery algorithms. Whatever you guys do to support, listening and watching is always plenty. I can't thank you all enough for tuning into the Insightful Thinkers podcast every week. We'll be back next Monday, as always, for more in-depth analysis into a diverse set of topics. Take care, everybody. This podcast is a production of Insightful Thinkers Media.